Hello and welcome to the Hoff Podcast. I'm Daniel Turner, the pastor of the Tyler House of Faith. We take these messages from our weekly services and then release them here on our podcast channel for you. We hope you dig it. Well, it's good to see you guys. Um, you may know this, but today is a special day. It is what is marked as the, um, the 50, 50 days after the resurrection. Yeah, there it is. That's where we get that word, Pentecost, the number 50 in there. And it is something that is so incredibly valuable in this religion that is Christianity. This incredibly stealth and unknown plan that God had for the redemptions of all things that he came down and enacted on our behalf. And I think one of the points today, as today will be really a history lesson that I believe is incredibly valuable for every Christian to fully understand and know. Um, But one of the points of the day will be that God, the creator himself, who is also Jesus, you know, if you read Hebrews 1 and John 1, all things were created through him, by him, for him. Um, He gave his creation this beautiful gift, which is free will, the ability to choose, you know. And that's a, that's a point that's, that's found in the very beginning of this whole thing that's so Im- incredibly important to understand. Um, but God, this, the creator knew that doing that was really going to cost him but it would be a precious gift. You know, he could have created us almost like robots that would just worship or serve him, you know, like, you know, but he gives this free will to all of his creation and he knew it would cost him. And even more, he knew that he would have to fight for it. But the fact of the matter is there can't be true love without choice, without free choice, free will, without the ability to choose love. And there can't even be devotion or worship without the ability to choose otherwise, you know. And so this plan, what we're celebrating that happened some right around 1,993 years ago on the 50th day after the resurrection um, of these, this Acts chapter 2, these tongues of fire, this, this strange story that we find ourselves in the Bible that we see is so very important and even crucial for all us to see and understand. Because there's something to having understanding and seeing even the history of our world and the planet and God's plan for what it really is that unlocks a sense of purpose, destiny, and even somewhat of urgency and priority in our life that I feel is incredibly valuable for us to see. You know, And so if I was going to play this movie... I would play that very first scene first. You know, I like to do things backwards. I would play that scene of Acts chapter 2, which I believe, I would imagine most of us or many of you are quite familiar with it. I'm not going to read it word for word, but I think you can go back and look at it if you like. This story that Jesus in Acts chapter 1, he's come back after his resurrection and communicated to his disciples on several different occasions for about a 40-day period. You know, 
He's seen by many of them. You know, we've gone over this on the beach cooking breakfast, appearing in different forms, you know, in, in, in different ways. Uh, quite often, the road to Emmaus, Luke 24, um, in the midst of the disciples, you know, touch my hand, touch my side, Thomas, all these brilliant things. To over 500 people at once is what it says in the book of Corinthians. It's like he, he was doing all these things, showing himself. But this one phrase that he had said that we have recorded in John 16 to his disciples, it's better for you that I go away. And I can imagine them thinking like, what could be better than walking around with you everywhere on this planet? But we know that he is the truth, the way and the truth and the life. And what he speaks is fully truth. And so for him to say it's better that I go away means it's actually better for them and for all of us that he went away than for him to stay here and remain. He knew why, but they didn't fully know. His cousin John, Dreadlock John the Baptist, he's talking about, he, you know, there's come somebody after me, he's preferred before me. Yeah, I'm baptizing in this water, but he's going to do something different. He's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and in fire. So John somehow has this glimpse of new covenant Christianity because he's the greatest prophet ever lived. That's what Jesus says. So he understands there's this, there's this baptism, this, this concept that the Jews had of like leaving Egypt and the Red Sea parting, them going into, towards their promised land, and this baptism happened that swallowed up the armies of Egypt that were following them. You know, the Jordan River, same thing. Jordan parting so that they could, all the way back to Adam, you know, in very specifically, deliberately written like that, for them to step into their promised land. This, another baptism, this, this thing that swallowed up their history. Jordan that symbolized death flew into the Dead Sea to where they could step into this power to obtain their inheritance. All prophetic, all talking about Christianity. Jesus comes and he fully fulfills this reality. But the disciples don't know. You know, if you read Acts 1, they're kind of standing there as Jesus goes for that last time, kind of floats off. And the angels have to show up and be like, hey, didn't he tell you guys to go, go down in the city and wait for this power that's supposed to be coming on you, this, this spirit that's going to come upon you? And they're like, oh yeah, you know what I mean? So here they are. Scholars kind of debate if they're actually in the upper room at the point of this sound of this, this roar of heaven or if they had actually come down in the temple. But regardless, here they are gathered together. And as we see in Acts chapter 2, when this day of Pentecost had come, it was during the Feast of Weeks, so there was so many people that had made this pilgrimage, so many Jews that were living in other countries, living in other cultures that were back during this feast that had actually come down. Um, so the, the city was way more even populated than it normally is. And um, this violent blast was heard. And we're watching this like a movie. There's this sound that, that literally it says it comes from heaven. It's like a mighty rushing wind. Speaking of a tornado, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, the whole house there could be translated temple too so it's it's one of those things it's it's both could be regardless it's like this roar that sounds like you know it's like they say about those tornadoes it sounds like there's a train roaring through their you know the neighborhood or whatever you hear that train sound you better get in the little bunker or whatever they say but in Oklahoma I guess right I don't know but it's like this roar was heard all over the city and they didn't have trains over there you know what I mean <laughs> so it's just like what in the world or from outside of this world is that it was like a siren is this this roaring sound it filled this place where they were it was heard everywhere in the city and there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire 
the way it's kind of written is this, this pillar of fire came inside of the place where they were and divide itself individually over everybody's head. Like tongues. You know what I mean? A fire over the top of it. It's so strange. Uh, we don't, I don't think we realize how much water we've poured on this to water it down. How profoundly spiritual, supernatural, mystical this whole entire walk is supposed to be. And it's Pentecost, so when we think of Pentecostal, when we think of charismatic type of Christianity, it has a bad rap, and I guess rightfully so, because a lot of times on the spirit-filled side of the tracks, that type of religion is really just a way of spiritualizing everything and never dealing with anything in a real way and waiting for God to do something that he's already done. But I'm, yeah, but I'm going to argue that like, hey, I think that God's already done something, but we're called to step into this mystic reality that is true Christianity. And that was the point of the entire thing. And so we've seen this scene and we see these tongues of flames of fire over their heads. Just watch it as if there's no commentary on it yet. This bizarre thing happening on this hundred and so people, you know, group of people, and them, them, them literally going, spilling out into the streets if they were in the temple or if they were coming out of the house, whichever one it really was, and crowds of people hearing their individual language from these people and thinking, how are they speaking my language? Many, many different languages, and you could, commentaries, read a lot of the lists of the, the groups that would have been there. Dozens of languages. And people around hearing them, hearing their language, somebody speaking that doesn't speak their language, and articulating the reality of this covenant, the glory of God and the mystery of God. And they're getting their minds blown. There were some there, as you can see it there in Acts 2, that were like, hey, you know, how do, how do we hear this in our language? And it goes through some of their lists. But there were some there, they're like, these people have had way too much to drink. Because this is a wild party and it's spilling out into the street. That's how a lot of people thought of them. Peter stands up and, and, and raised his voice loudly and says, Men of Judea, they're not drunk as you suppose. It's only 9.30 in the morning. Hey, how about that? Our new, our new starting time. I didn't think about that until right now. I knew it was a sign, brother. You know? <laughs> so, um, but he says, they're not drunk like this. This is the sign of the prophet Joel. This is what was spoken about him. This new covenant prophecy, one of the many that we talk about, the connection of God. And he recites Joel 2, it shall come to pass afterward. In those last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And even on my men servants and maid servants, I'll pour out my spirit. And they will prophesy. And he starts to recite this, this obscure prophetic writing this fisherman who's, as they would suspect, has, has not been somebody who's studied these scrolls, but he has knowledge of it. And he quotes this scripture of Joel 2, which is so incredibly crucial for us to see. All of the divisions, all of the um, disqualifications, all of your class system, men servants, maid servants, None of it matters to God. Hey, your barriers between male and female. One's lower than the other. I'll pour up my spirit upon all of them. And the sons and the daughters will prophesy. Not the prophets. The sons and the daughters. The, the children of God will prophesy. 
creation will prophesy. The old men will dream dreams and the young men will see these visions. It won't have to be the Spirit of the Lord comes upon these prophets as it did in the old. And they get this connection. This is going to happen for everyone in this thing. This is for them all. It's a different game. Things have changed. And this was the sign, like, hey, things are changing. But there's so much more there. I remember when I was young and I was reading, you know, Joel 2. It's kind of strange because it's like, talks about these armies. And, and you know, a lot of commentators will say, well, this is the Assyrian army or this is, you know, Babylon. You know, a lot of these enemies of Israel that were going to come and actually ransack the place. And it's true and it's real. But the way they describe it is like all these monsters, demonic monsters that are coming on. This army that's, that's coming to attack the people of God and all this crazy stuff. And you're like, yeesh, you know what I mean? Like, who, how are you going to, but, and then it says, but I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. The sons and daughters will prophesy. And, and as a, you know, as a young guy, it's like, well, shouldn't it say the sons and daughters will be like the, the, the way the judges were, like Samson? And they'll rip those monsters' heads off? That's the type of power I want to step into, you know what I mean? That's what I'm thinking, like David's killing giants, his guys are killing all the Goliath's brothers, these other giant Nephilims and monsters, and you know what I'm saying? But it's like the antidote was there's going to be a new covenant. And connection is going to be restored. Sons and daughters prophesy, dream dreams, visions, all these different things. The connection of God, people stepping into their original design. This Eden, this Edenic mandate that was lost. Be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. What do you mean subdue the earth? That's a military term in Genesis. It means that Eden was as a heavenly garden on the earth that man was given to cultivate, but he was also given to really expand it because there's obviously other things here as well. Jesus comes and restores that whole deal. Puts the ball back in our court, places us back into a new authority. And if you can see it, stuff that's written in our scriptures about becoming a new creation does something that we never even saw coming. Now, like Jesus said in John 16, it's better for you that I go away. It's like, oh, it really is better. The new creation is God inside of man and man being the temple. Man being the temple of the Holy Spirit. And being built together as living stones into this church, this ecclesia, as he calls it, right? Jesus, Jesus himself calls it in Matthew 16. And the very um, description of what this church would be in that very first phrase when he announces what it is, is that, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In other words, I, I fully am, I'm, I'm actually here to redeem mankind, but I'm building my church out of men. And the job description of it's found in its description is like the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Not, not hell won't be able to penetrate the gates. Like it'll be so secure like Eden. It's like, no, Eden, be fruitful, multiply, and subdue. It's like it will go outward. The gates and the gates of hell, those, those, out, those gates through which hell has spewed itself throughout the entire earth, they will not be able to hold their ground because of what I'm going to do to you. Isn't it so much very different than this religious Christianity, this religious powerless version of Christianity that the Bible actually calls uh, holding to a form of godliness but denying the power thereof? You know, uh, uh, just huddling up and waiting to be bailed out in the last days or, or when you go to heaven. It's like, no, 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 no. I, I meant for you to do war on the earth. That's Jesus. 
I am building you together so that the gates of hell won't prevail. Like it's in your job description. It's in who you truly are. He understood the war that would be because of free will, because there would be some that would take it, some that wouldn't. And the darkness, obviously much of it took a different team. But the reality was like it would be worth it because true love would, would reign supreme over creation. It's, it's true. And the monsters of Joel, the Assyrian army and all that, you know what I'm saying? It's like, and the actual monsters. You know, I was riding. Our girls, the last day of school this week was um, Thursday. Right? You want to get weird? Ride around with us, our conversations. We're driving to the state park. Mom had to work, you know, she was still working. Um, but um, I took them to the state park and we went swimming out there and they did all kind of hiking. They pulled a little, their little purple fishing poles out. I mean, it was a day, y'all. Like, half day of school but on the way out there for some reason and i think it's because that the uh, newer version of the movie uh, ariel the mermaid is out the disney movie but they were asking me like dad like so is there really mermaids are those real <laughs> you know and um i was like well or were they real and all, and i was like yeah you know honestly girls it's quite possible that they were. And, um, you know, there's these, there's these writings that we have of the history of the world. Um, this, you guys will know, is like Enoch and the Book of Giants and all these found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And I was like, but they talk about the story of the Bible that's written in Genesis chapter 6. And you guys are Bible reading Christians and, and, and will probably understand a lot of this. But there's these, there's these beings that the Bible calls the Nephilim, or it really translates them as giants, but the word is Nephilim, so they weren't exactly giants um, in Genesis 6. And I'm telling my girls this uh, concerning mermaids. <laughs> I was like, you know, Genesis 6, 4, there was giants on the earth in those days and also afterwards when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and bore children to them. They were the mighty men who were of old, many of renown, the heroes of the old ancient stories, right? And the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and every intent of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. And um, he realized he needed to destroy mankind because it had became something different of the earth, except for there was one guy named Noah who was a just man and it says he was perfect in his generations, he had three sons, you know, and, and, and you go into the Noah's Ark story. And my girls know this story. So here I am describing if mermaids were real. And I said, you know, there's stories in our Bible, in Genesis 6, really, for you guys, where there was these, these people called the Benai Elohim, the sons of God. And for lack of a better word, they're, they're called the angels. You know, Peter calls them angels. Jude calls them angels. You know, Peter is basically, he uses the book of Enoch and this Genesis 6 perspective for a lot of his writings. And obviously Jude does as well. Um, Paul does it some. Um, but I'm, tell, I'm sitting here telling them, I was like, there's these stories of these, these people that lived on the other side. Because as you guys know, the word Elohim is actually a distinction of the unseen realm or the heavenly realms 
And so, you know, this, this plural word that's, you know, obviously God is the most high God, but he has all these sons. Psalm 82 and several other places. And I tell them there's these stories of, for lack of a better word, these angels that actually rebelled against God because they saw these women of the earth and they decided to cohabit with them and have children by them. And the Bible calls them giants, but they're really called Nephilim. And I'm telling the girls the story. I was like, and in a lot of the ancient writings, there's backstory of Genesis 6, or it goes into more, uh, more description of this, namely the book of Enoch, where it talks about the corruption of these sons of God and all of the genetic mutation and hybrid release that they put onto the earth. And it wasn't just with the Elohim and with people. It, it was also with a lot of animals. And so you have scriptures that talk about bestiality and stuff like that in the Old Testament and kind of forbids it. But it's not some, you know, inbred redneck, you know, that had a crush on his donkey. It's literally talking about, sorry, you know, you can tell I didn't think this all the way through, but I'm just telling you guys what's happening in my, um, you know, it's literally has the, what the undertones really are there. It's talking about crossbreeding. You know, it's talking about doing things to produce things. They were looking to create, create new creations themselves. And they did it so much that these Nephilim, they covered the entire world, millions and millions of them. And um, there were so many people that were spliced or mixed with another, with something else. Obviously, Noah was perfect in his generations, what the Bible says. So he was pure. But so much of the world was corrupted in this way. And so, obviously, I'm, I'm telling this to little kids, <laughs> you know what I mean? Somebody who just graduated third grade and first grade and saying, so, yes, there was these angelic beings. Not only did they cohabitate with, with humans and, and cause their offspring to be a hybrid between human and angel. Really, Elohim, but you guys get what I'm throwing. Um, but at the same time, there was, there's record of them doing the same things with the animal kingdom. And so technically, mermaids and these types of creatures that are all in through mythology, it is possible that they did exist. <laughs> and then I really burst their bubble because I'm like, you know, you know, mermaids in the old days, they're not like in the cartoons and like Disney's kind of made them nice. But what they're known to have done was use their voice to seduce sailors and people. And when they'd come to them, they would drown them and kill them and eat them. So, you know, I'm just having fun with these girls now, you know. To which my six-year-old goes, Hey, Nabo, that means the ones from the Peter Man Pan movie? That's what they're really like. Because <laughs> apparently there was bad ones in that movie, but not in Ariel. And so their minds are like, oh, snap, they're bad. You know what I mean? But they're like, well, not all of them, though. Not kidding all of them, you know what I mean? Because they like them, the little Ariel, you know what I mean? They like the good versions, you know. But I'm saying, yeah, they're all just Nephilim. They're, they're evil. Uh, you know, I didn't say that. But, you know, I'm just, I'm just kind of giving them, giving them this history of Genesis 6. Um, because it's real. You know what I mean? And it's referenced thoroughly throughout our whole Bible. And especially Peter and Jude. They, Peter and Jude borrowed directly from the book of Enoch you know, and communicate these things. Uh, the Apostle Paul does too. And when he talks about the things that can't separate us from the love of Christ, he lists them, you know. 
when he talks about we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers of the heavenly, wicked rulers of heavenly places, that heavenly places, that spiritual realm, the Elohim, like he's literally talking about, hey, there's something else on the outside that that's, that's what we war against. That's what this whole thing's about. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a turf war. And, um, but their gateways are not meant to prevail. And see, Jesus knew this. And if you've come here for a while, you've probably had a lot of thorough teaching concerning a lot of this stuff. Um, but we know the story. Noah, Noah perfect generations, eight people on the ark, you know, uh, the 40-day the, the flood, right? You know, 40 days they're in the ark, and um, the flood goes over the earth and destroys, destroys, you know, basically wrecks shop. But what, one thing that a lot of the, the scholars will debate was like, well, there was obviously Nephilim after the flood because when you look through Moses and the mandate God gave to Moses and to Joshua, all the clans and all the people groups that they were called to wreck shop on in the promised land were all groups that were intermingled with giants, with giant clans, with Nephilim, with Rephaim, with all of these things. And it's like, so it was like this very, this, the, the war was against that hybrid creation that was over the earth that, it, that was still puppeting humans like human shields. And it's really easy to trace, you know, through the books of Moses, all the, all the stops that they made were actually, all those people groups, it wasn't just genocide, it was giant clans that they were fighting. People that were mixed, in, mixed into all that stuff. Um, and it's the same with Joshua and the ones that Joshua didn't get. Then David's king and David takes up the torch and then hear him and his mighty men are constantly battling the people groups that are connected to those, to those beings. And so it's, it's always been there in plain sight. But to some people, it's kind of strange. So happy Pentecost, right? <laughs> because all this ties together perfectly. I promise you. And so, you know, Noah and the ark, they start over fresh. But there's some, there's some things written concerning this war between light and darkness, between um, the new creations on the, from, the other, from the other team versus the people of God. And it's funny, when, you, when Noah gets out of the ark in Genesis 9 and um, blesses his sons and everything seems really honky-dory, like, wow, man, that was, that's crazy. You built that ark for all this time. Probably had a little supernatural help, I would imagine. Maybe not. You know, it took a long time. Um, he has these sons and the whole earth was populated through them. But something happens if you've read... Genesis 9, where Noah basically, you know, plants a vineyard and has a little too much of his own wine. He's pretty much in a real compromising situation. But it's really peculiar what happens. Um, that he, Noah drinks this wine in, in Genesis 9:21 and becomes uncovered in his tent. Whatever that means, right? And it says, Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, and he told his brothers outside. So Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on their shoulders, went backwards and covered their father's nakedness, but their faces were turned away. 
It says, So Noah awoke from his wine and knew that his younger son, what his younger son had done to him. And when he does, he pronounces this curse on his grandson, which is just so bizarre. And so we have this little random story in the book of Genesis about Noah passing out off of his own wine. But one of his sons, in air quotes, sees his father's nakedness. And for some reason, that's a real naughty thing. I don't know what it really means. There's a lot of scholars that kind of debate that back and forth. Obviously, there's something else. But to the point that when his dad woke up, he literally came out and he cursed his son's son, Canaan. Now, Canaan is obviously the land of the promised land. But it is under the name of what it was when it was full of the giant clans before Joshua crossed the Jordan River with Israel and started routing them out, you know. So it's really interesting and kind of strange to look at it, but it's like that random story, a lot of people think, well, how did, how did giants and Nephilim, and how did they come back onto the earth if the flood wiped them out and all this stuff? And a lot of people think that there's some funny business that happened in there that his son was somehow involved, Ham was somehow involved in this reintroduction of Nephilim coming back into the earth. And um, I think it's quite possible because when you look through his lineage versus his brother's lineage, all of the giant clans and all of the wicked cities of the Bible come through the lineage of Ham and not his brothers. And so it's, it's, it's kind of bizarre and kind of strange. But the reason that it's important is you have in um, Genesis 10, you have what's known as the Table of Nations. And it lists these 70 nations from these 70 sons and these, this, these people groups that inhabited the whole earth and how they were all split into these different cultures. And then it goes into Genesis 11, and it tells the story of how this big split of all these cultures happened. And what we know Genesis 11 is the Tower of Babel story, which I remember seeing a little book when I was a little kid, the, the Tower of Babel. We know it just like the Cliff Notes version is the people of the earth had one language. There wasn't multiple languages. And they tried to, to build a tower to reach into heaven. God saw that they were doing that and caused confusion to come upon them and scattered them all over the earth and divided all their languages. And I remember seeing a little picture as a kid of like a, um, almost like a tower that looked like a, one of those circular type of things, like a stairway, <laughs> stairway to heaven, you know, Pink Floyd or what, you know, just like a, and it's almost like we think like some, some cavemen were trying to, to, to build a, a staircase to get into heaven or to avoid the flood. Um, but I think what we're looking at there, obviously it's a ziggurat or a, a pyramid type of structure, but in G uh, Genesis 11 is an attempt that's probably highly spiritual and highly technological that was an attempt to open up a portal, stargate, whatever you want to call it, in order to partner with that which was dark and release it onto the earth over, all over again. And, um, you know, the whole earth had one language and one speech. They journeyed to the east and they found this land, um, a plain of Shinar. And they said, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly and let's build ourselves a city. Let's make a name for ourselves and reach up into these heavens. And so the Lord says, come, let us go down and confuse their language that they may not understand each other's speech. He sees they're going to accomplish it. 
But what I'm going to propose to you too is the Tower of Babel was so much more demonic and evil and so much more of a comeback story for these Nephilim, for these fallen sons of God, for all this darkness to actually take back over the creation. And when you look back at that table of nations in Genesis 10, it literally talks about all of his sons. And it's, you know, sometimes the Bible's hard to read like that. This son begot this one, begot this one, begot this one. But it comes to one very specific son, the son of Cush, um, who's Ham, Naughty Ham's grandson. And it says, Cush begot Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. And it's like this story of this guy named Nimrod, like, you know, Nimrod is kind of a derogatory name to call somebody for being an idiot. You know, you ever heard that? Guy's a real Nimrod, you know. But apparently Nimrod, the same word that describes Nimrod is the same word that described the Nephilim, these heroes of the old. They were called the Gibberim. And it's like, you know, when, when we see Genesis 6 and we talk about the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they produced these hybrid offspring, these were, these were the Gibberim. These were the mighty ones in the earth, right? They did this, they created this war. I'm just straight freaking people out, but it's all right. <laughs> Deal with it. Um, it's like this guy Nimrod was, was quoted and if you look at it in the ESV or just like a, a better translation of the Bible, it says he was the first person to become a Gibberim, the first man to become a, a Gibberim. And so it's like you have this guy named Nimrod who was a mighty one and this mighty hunter. Who You have all these ancient Babylonian texts and you have all these Ugaritic texts and they all have this same character that somehow becomes this Gibberim, this mighty one, this hunter, a lot like the stars, like Orion is said to be. Nimrod, you know what I'm saying? The, the hunter that's in the stars. You know, you have all this stuff. But it says the beginning of his kingdom was Babel in the land of Shinar. And so he creates the beginning of his kingdom where all these Assyrian places, all the kingdoms of, of Assyria, all the Nineveh, Babel, uh, all the places that literally wrecked shop on Israel and, and, and literally pitted themselves against Israel for the rest of Israel's existence, all came out these kingdoms out of this one person who is said to have been a mighty one, you know, and, and created this tower. And he built this tower. So he was a bad guy. I love in a lot of like, if some of you like, I know a lot of people like Graham Hancock and, you know, that new show that he's doing on Netflix about all these different ziggurats and all these different places on the earth and stuff like that. But th there's one pyramid called Edemanaki, which they believe is the Tower of Babel from the biblical text, which is also in a lot of the other Syrian texts and Babylonian texts and stuff like that. But in Deuteronomy 3, it talks about this Nephilim that lived there named the Og of Bashan, and his bed was nine by four cubits. And in the Babylonian stories and in the Ugaritic stories, they all talk about this same place, and they have a bed that is the same size as what our Bible lists. Actually, these places are real places that archaeologists find. And of course, in their, in their version of the story, their, you know, the Babylonian guard, God Marduk would come down and he would have ritual lovemaking deals to bless the earth, but also to produce more of the, these God people you know, that ruled the earth. So it's, it's funny how many old ancient writings pair up perfectly with the Bible, but they all tell it from a different lens. And we believe our lens is the true lens, right? So anyways, 
this Nimrod, he's created this place. And, you know, lesson number one, they're doing it to create a name for themselves. It's just like it says in the book of James, like selfish ambition, where there is, where there is jealousy, envy, and selfish ambition, there is, there is, it, it opens the door for everything evil, all kinds of evil. And so he, here he is with an agenda to make a name for himself and these people to make a name for themselves. And he's building this massive, you know, structure that's supposed to reach into heaven somehow. That's supposed to have this go-between, um, quite possibly the same as the as the, uh, you know, pyramid that's found in Deuteronomy. But, anyways, he's doing this thing. But what ends up happening is it results in not only just confusion, but a division of all these people groups and all these languages come over the earth. Um, you know, when you look back in Genesis 10, one chapter back, and it talks about these people groups, and it tells how these people groups all got split up in Genesis 11, it's really explaining, like, this is where all the languages come from. This is where all the people were divided. It happened at this ziggurat. I keep saying that word, but you know what it means. At this, at this tower, at this pyramid, whatever, however you want to shake that up, that was inspired by Nimrod, who was trying to take over the world, who was trying to introduce something dark for the world. And that's where all the languages and all the division came. You know, and so we, we have these these things that are written in Genesis and and, and commentaried, commentaried in like Deuteronomy 8, where it literally talks about this dividing over the people groups. They were set over the entire world according to the number of these Benai Elohim, these sons of God, these these spiritual rulers that were supposed to govern these places. And it's our Bible. But no one saw the redemption coming of what Jesus was going to do this division. And so when we're fast forwarding, we see Genesis 10, the table of nations. We see Genesis 11, um, the story of Nimrod, the story of these, these towers, this, this demonic reach to try to release these gates of hell literally into the earth. And then you have Genesis 12, the very next chapter is when God casts everybody over the earth, but he picks one person, a guy named Abram, changes his name, puts an H in there, puts his name in there, the Heth, the breath of God into Abram and calls him Abraham. And he says, I'm going to actually make a people out of you. And there's, there's, a, there's a hint right there. I'm going to put my breath inside of this person and it's, gonna, it's all a prophetic symbol of my spirit which I'm going to put upon all flesh whose sons and daughters will prophesy. And I'm going to create out of him a nation like he promises Abraham, like, I'm going to make your nation, you a nation that when you look at the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore, that's what these people are going to be like. That's how big this is going to be. And we understand he's the father of faith. This is not talking about simply Israel, even though it was for quite a while. You know, Jacob, his grandson, who was named Israel and out of him became this nation of Israel. But I'm going to put my heth in you, and, and you're going to you're going to be Abraham, and, and I'm going to I'm going to reset this thing, and and not only that, this demonically inspired thing that the sons and the, the rebellious darkness that has tried to release all these gateways of hell, I'm coming for all of that, the whole world. And so the disciples are like, when's the kingdom going to come? And like, can I sit on your right hand? They're thinking, when's Israel going to be back in prominence? And Jesus, the whole time, is thinking, I'm going to pay a price that redeems all of mankind. And these divisions that you have, men servant, maid servant, sons, daughters, male, female, Jew, Greek, 
There is, there's going to be no more of that stuff. You know, that's our Bible. I'm going to break the walls. This isn't even a Jewish religion anymore. I'm going to redeem all, all of, I'm going to redeem the whole creation. Romans 8, then all of creation itself is longing for this redemption to happen. Well, how's it going to happen? A sword's going to come out of his mouth and he's going to devour the earth. Like, yes, but it's not going to be in the violence or in the way that, the way that we've begun to think in this fallen way. It's going to be let there be light and redemption and love and free will. You know what I mean? And beauty and creativity. It's going to be a mass unlocking. Yeah. And so he calls Abram, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph in Egypt. Egypt, then they get out of Egypt, right? They do the first baptism. That's the Red Sea. They're going into the, the wilderness, you know. They have a cloud that covers them by day. They're living in the wilderness, in the desert, but the climate that they're living under is a different reality than all the other desert people because they have a cloud that covers them by the day. It's supernatural. It's a pillar and a pillar of fire that glows above them at night. So they had street lamps, street lights, brighter than the stars, that a, a warm glow of fire. How beautiful is the light of fire? It's not like these, these bright lights, like this one I'm sitting on my face. You know, it's like, it's, it's like a glow that's just like soft and nice. You know, it's beautiful. Even when Pharaoh tried to come after them, what did he see? A wall of fire. He couldn't get through that pillar, came down and, sept and, and divided that pillar of cloud by day, fire by night. It all came behind them when Pharaoh changed his mind to try to come after them. He was like, you're not coming nowhere until it's time for you to you know, sink. Right? They understood this thing. It was like, this is what the, air quotes, people of God, the presence of God will be with them at all times. They will only move when the cloud moves. That's how they moved through the wilderness. You know what I mean? He, he, he was a gyro. He was their provider. He, he fed them. You know, yeah. Their stuff didn't wear out. You know, it's like all these beautiful truths. And then when it was time to become mature and cross that Jordan River, it was like, all right, that's the land of Canaan, Ham's son, and all these giant clans. And a lot of Israelites were afraid to go in there, but they had to die off. But then it was like, now go in there and wreck shop on those people and take what's yours back. You've empowered Jesus, this is all true story, but it's all prophetic picture of what Jesus is doing on the cross. And he's like, it's better for you that I go away. And it's like, why is that? Because one part of the baptism is the baptism, the remission of sins. You know, it, it is, it is stepping, stepping into everything of that old identity of as a slave to sin, Pharaoh, being gone. But the other aspect of that baptism, the Jordan River parting, is the is the endowment of power to step into your promised land. Jesus demonstrated that the dove came upon him when he was baptized by Dreadlock John in the Jordan. But, but, but guess what? Now it's like, now that is going to be realized by you in a very real way. What John prophesied, and Jesus said it, I told you, I'm going to baptize in the Spirit. They still didn't understand this, what this meant. Just tarry in Jerusalem for a little while. It was going to hit 50 days after and the roar of heaven comes in the pillar of fire. Like, these people know this. <gasps> this is the pillar that guided our people through the wilderness. 
When we were called to go and be fruitful, multiply, and get back to subduing the earth, to step into our promised land, Canaan, the son of Ham, and, and all the descendants of the giant clans that squatted there illegally to set up their gates, to release their darkness there, and we're called to route them out because it's our natural, real place we're supposed to be. It's never been about going to heaven when we die. The Nephilim are still here today. Every Jewish person knows that, and every... Christian that reads his Bible understands that all the Nephilim are disembodied spirits. They're the demons of the world. You know, that's what demons actually are, the spirits of the Nephilim. Anyways, so, but I mean, it's like, it's like, hey, yeah, it's, oh, you know, I'm waiting for something perfect, perfect conditions. It's like, no, 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 no. The gates of hell won't prevail, which means you got to confront them. But everywhere that's illegally in this earth that violates the covenant that I've made with you, Take authority of it. Bind that which is bound in heaven, bind it on the earth. Loose with, if it's loose in heaven, then loose it on the earth. Take that place and bring it down here. Manifest it down here. Jesus said it. John 1, 51, right? You know, you, you think this is important, Philip. You know, Nathaniel. You think that's, that's impressive, Nathaniel, that I knew you were sitting under a fig tree, Nathaniel. Well, think about this, Nathaniel. You're going to see... Angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man, Nathaniel. And so you're going to see this ladder of Jacob, Nathaniel. You're going to see it. You're going to see angels ascending, going up and coming back. The messengers are going to have entrance into heaven, and they're going to have release onto the earth. The whole thing has been about this the whole time. Anything less is holding to a form of godliness and denying the power. It's like, wow, well, I've never heard those stories. I don't know. Da, da. There is no other way to interpret the Bible than that. The Sethite view is... is easy to disprove by any scholar worth his salt and the reality is this seed war has been here for thousands of years you know and that pillar of fire comes into that place and they recognize it this is the covering of god over his people but what's brilliant about that because he said it's better that i go away is now that fire divided into tongues and went over each person and the symbolism was there like hey the covering of god is for you you don't have to huddle up and, and, and move, <laughs> you know what I mean, through the wilderness. like this. It's like, I am with every single one of you. All the prophecies start to come out. Yeah. Jeremiah 31, 33. You're not going to have to tell anybody. Everybody will know me. The relationship is there. Well, God doesn't speak anymore. It's like, what? Like the whole new covenant was about that. You know what I mean? It's like, my goodness. Isaiah 59, 14. It's just like, yeah, this is my covenant. My words are never going to part from your mouth or your descendants' mouth forever. It's never not going to be there. He's not talking about memorizing verses. He's talking about the inward dwelling of this connect. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds. Proceedeth, if you want to King James it. But it's like it proceeds. It flows from the mouth of God. Out of your innermost being, John 4, will flow rivers of living water. The whole thing has been that. You don't need your needs met. They've been met. You have to believe that they've been met. And it's here for you. And the same place they understood, well, well, that's kind of weird that it happened to look like tongues. It's not weird at all. Because the tongues were divided at Babel by something demonic. And this was a, a deliberate slap in the face of the principalities and powers that ruled the world. Who 1 Corinthians 2 says that if the rulers of this world would have known, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. He was reversing everything that they were doing. And so the tongues... The tongues that were divided by their selfish ambition and, and demonic inspiration to create new creations, uh, you know, mermaids. Just kidding. But you know what I mean, possibly. Uh, over the earth, right? That, that Jezebel named Ariel. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm telling you, that story is... 
Disney's trying to, no. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, but uh, what was I even talking about? Yeah, that plan, it's like now the tongues of fire were spilling out in the streets and instead of dividing and confusing people, people were like, oh, you're speaking my language. There was all these people, and if you look at the Acts 2, and it shows all the people groups, but I'm not going to try to do it, because if I don't have my app open, I'm going to mispronounce all these names, these Scythians and these Arabians and all these things. All these people that could hear their own language. And that which was disunity in Babel was bringing unity and truth in this Pentecost, this 50th day after, after this resurrection. It's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. The whole thing makes sense. The whole thing ties together. It always has and it always will. The, the Bible is unbreakable. Amen. And the relational connection of God that we're called to walk in. To be led of the Spirit. My sheep know my voice. Yeah. The voice, the illuminated scripture, the illuminated word of God. The individual voice. All the different ways. I mean, he's speaking to Peter in trances. All of them. You know what I mean? Dreams, visions, trance, all these different things. These things which are poured out as the new covenant. This, this is the reality of Christianity. But it's like he has, back to the, I guess, the point, he gave creation this beautiful gift of free will. He's manifested the truth of his heart in the Son. The Father reconciling mankind to himself. He knew it was going to cost him, and he would pay everything for it. But he also knew the beauty, that true love, could only be true if people had a, cho a choice to choose otherwise. Worship, devotion. If you don't have a choice to choose otherwise, you're just a, a Calvinist robot or something, man. Another thing easy to shoot holes through. Not biblical. You know what I mean? But it's just like this, this reality that we've all been given this opportunity and this calling and this purpose and this destiny to be redeemed. Yes. To have our needs met in Him. Yes. But to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then all those needs would be added to us. This, this not putting the cart before the horse. This, this like, hey, what is my calling? It's like, your calling is the same as everyone's calling. You know, to walk in the fellowship and light, the koinonia of 1 John 1, which is true fellowship in, in a people group called the church that, that see the Bible correctly and understand that this just isn't about being basically purgatory, a safe place that doesn't get spotted and stained by the world. It's about a place where we're trained and equipped in the giftings of the Spirit that came upon mankind Amen. almost 2,000 years ago, yeah. right? Yeah. Because we've been empowered by Him yeah. to be fruitful and multiply and to bring into subjection those very things which come out of those gates and to shut those gates in the earth Amen. and to stretch Eden over it again. Amen. It's a lot more important. And it is a spiritual war. And there really is warfare. And that's not just a charismatic thing that we say when we're having a rough day. Oh, it's warfare, brother. It's not just a Christianese where we kick around Nathaniel. It's not like that. There is a war, but it's a war over people. 
And when our eyes are on the Lord Jesus and His finished reality, just look at the cross, brother, and look at the finished work, all these things, they start to make sense. Like, oh, we can reckon ourselves as dead to sin. We can reckon ourselves to have been crucified with Christ. And no longer, it's like they had all these sacrifices to come into the tabernacle, the temple, that was literally the only place where heaven and earth touched, they believed, anymore since Eden. But all the sacrifices were meant to create that, to make that place sacred space just so God could come into it. And the high priest once a year could go into the holiest chamber, the holiest holies, the holy of holies, past that curtain and sprinkle the, the blood and, and, and administer the, the, take the sins of man, of, of, the, of the nation, put it on the dang scapegoat and send it out into the wilderness Leviticus 16 says, send it out to Azazel, which is one of the demonic, angelic beings from the book of Enoch, speaking of which. <laughs> it's in our Bible all the way through. Send it to him. And uh, so, yeah, we, it atoned for the people, but the rest of it was atoned for this sacred space to be around this God who's holy because we are completely other than. And now we got Pentecost that's saying like, hey, all those ways that you feel disqualified from being around God, you got bells sewn into your into your little garments just in case you die and they have to pull you out of the tabernacle. It's like, hey, like, you don't have to worry about these things. You can come boldly before me. What do you mean? Like that ghost, that holy place, my very spirit, the essence of my being is now on the inside of you. And there's no more work you can do to get into the back room of that temple. That temple's on the inside of you. And it's like, whoa, now, I'm way too dirty for that. I'm a man of unclean lips. You know what I'm saying? It's like, no, 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 no. Jesus told the disciples, you're already clean because of the word that I spoke to you. It's like, what? That's controversial. It's like, no, if it's, if it's in red, it's, it's, it's got to be the words of our life. And we're so easily disqualified by the way we feel about ourselves. But the reality is, is actually look to the reality of what he's done. That he's placed himself on the inside of us. We're no longer working to be accepted. We're living out of what he's done with mission that's not looking down it's looking out and it says and the gates of hell won't prevail it's bang bang it's the family business is your kingdom come Lord what does that mean it means assault the things that aren't supposed to be here it means violently aggressively wreck shop on the things that shouldn't be here as a sheriff an ambassador of the kingdom. That's so fun to me. Lord, we thank you for Pentecost. We thank you for this day, this reality of the new covenant. I thank you for the understanding of the scripture. And, um, and I'm sure there's so much more to be unlocked. I thank you so much for your spirit, which has been given to lead us into all truth. I ask that you'd continue to lead us into the truths of your covenant, your nature, your identity. That we would see everything in this life through that lens, through the work of the finished, that which you finished, and into the restoration of all things. Amen. All righty. All right, you know what? I'm gonna pray really quick. One, just 
You know, when the Apostle Paul, he ran into people that were believers, but they were not, they didn't, like, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, or maybe sometimes we, we hear this and we think of like, yeah, but that makes you one of them, one of, you know, the weird, you know. But the reality is, sometimes it's like people just don't understand what's available relationally for them. Yeah. And it's this beautiful thing of God in you, walking with you, leading you to all truth in your life. Fully, literally unlocking your mind. We use 10% of the thing, if that, to, the, to who we're called to be. And knowing Him. This, all these words about, I'll never leave you or forsake you. It's like, He's in, he's in us. So I'm going to just pray right now. If there's anybody that feels like, I've been doing the Christian thing, but I haven't understood the extent of what God has extended Himself to me. And if you want to pray with me and just literally receive this, the Holy Spirit of God, I want, and, and like literally in your heart, if you have this desire, like, I want to receive this baptism. We understand the baptism of John. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this, this Christianity, it is, it is the Red Sea and it is the Jordan. It is a double whammy. So... And even if, you're, if you listen to these on the podcast, I'm, I'm with you too. So, Lord Jesus, I thank you for everything that you've done. And I thank for the beauty of what you said it was better for us that you would go away. And as, as, as hard as that probably was for them to believe, I thank you that we kind of have some hindsight and some more understanding to see that, what you've done. And so right now I ask, Father, that... that there would be a, a real baptism of your Holy Spirit on all those who, who maybe realize they have not stepped into this level of relationship with you. And I just ask that, that this baptism that, this, that people yearn for, this, this closeness, this empowerment, this reality, that um, we just posture ourselves to fully receive what you've even poured out, poured out on this nearly 2,000 years ago, the essence of true Christianity, being led of your spirit, being full with your spirit, seeing by your spirit, and everything that comes from walking with you, the dreams and visions and trances and visitations and this, this, the empowerment to walk this life out and walk our family mandate out. We thank you, Lord, and just we, we gladly receive what you've given. All right.